Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Alright, good day Tokers and Tokens And Ron Token Covers of Liberty it, It's Friday, April 8, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world well, you know, folks, we've made it to the weekend. So glad to be here. Beautiful spring day in Portland, Oregon. Temperatures are in the 80s. Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful here. We got this uh, this warm front moving through. I know a lot of you listening to me back east are freezing. You've got the other side of that front. you got the cold front. You're just shivering to death and... I'm sorry. I, I can't help myself. I've got spring fever. I'm excited. I'm at, looking out over the south waterfront, Mount Hood straight in front of me, Mount St. Helens off to my left, the river below, the green trees, and all the people of beautiful legal potland Oregon enjoying their lives without any fear of the man busting them for marijuana. It's a great place to be. If only you can afford the rent here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this is something we'll be talking about on today's show, the economic impacts of marijuana legalization. There is some uh, great data coming out, and we're going to get to it today in our drug war data mining segment, where Washington and Oregon are kind of having a border war over marijuana sales. And they're starting to get some of the numbers in here that show the competition between these states is benefiting cannabis consumers. We'll get to that in drug war data mining today. Uh, before that, we'll have our behind the headlines segment and the Denver channel, uh, ABC nine, I think is the channel out there in Denver has uh, put out this uh, crazy bit of journalism uh, quote marks, uh, about how legalization has somehow helped the Mexican cartels, that the Mexican cartels are taking advantage of marijuana legalization. So we'll go to behind the headlines and get deep into that and figure out what's wrong with that sort of thinking. We've got a great guest on today's show as well. We'll do a government at work segment at half past. We're going to be visiting with libertarian presidential candidate Kevin McCormick. You thought I was going to say Governor Gary Johnson. No, Kevin McCormick is running for the Libertarian presidential nomination. I know everybody knows Gary Johnson from this show, uh, been a guest numerous times. This will be our first time speaking with Kevin McCormick, and we're excited to talk to him about his views on the election. And then coming up at the end of the show, we'll have time for a radical rant and... I tell you, Radley Balco out there uh, is one of the best reporters we have, and he's most particularly been focused like a laser on police abuse, police corruption, uh, especially as it reflects is reflected in this war on drugs. He's got an amazing piece up about body cavity searches that should terrify everyone, and it forces me in the rant to ask if. People on the left, like Occupy and anarchists and such, and people on the right, like NRA supporters and uh, militia people, are so worried about this government tyranny they keep telling me is coming. Uh, I wonder if they've paid any attention to these cases. Uh, probably not, because they involve drugs and 
a lot of times they involve black people, so it's not really on their radar. But we'll take a look at that today in the Radical Rant. But before we get to all of that, we have got the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we've got good news coming out of Maine for legalization. We've got Alaska funding criminal justice reforms through marijuana sales. We've got the decrim in Vermont that used to be legalization in Vermont now isn't even decrim in Vermont. We'll tell you what happened there. Louisiana might finally get a functional medical marijuana program, a stupid bill proposed in Denver to ban gummy bear edibles, we've got a possibility of marijuana for menstrual cramps in New Jersey, and an interview with the drug czar Michael Botticelli where we pull out the world's tiniest violin. All that coming up in hour one of the Russ Belville Show, then stay tuned for hour two. We'll have more news and your calls at 971-533-7111. We're live on CannabisRadio.com from Portland, Oregon, back in two. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, April 8th, 2016. Augusta, Maine. 
A Kennebec County Superior Court judge ruled on Friday that state officials may have improperly invalidated thousands of signatures of registered Maine voters and unlawfully denied citizens their constitutional right to vote on a proposed ballot initiative to regulate marijuana like alcohol. Justice Michaela Murphy found that state officials invalidated more than 5,000 petitions, which included more than 17,000 signatures from Maine voters that were validated by town clerks without actually reviewing every petition in question. The Secretary of State's office must now review all of the disputed petitions and place the initiative on the November ballot if it determines enough valid signatures were collected. If enough signatures were validated, Maine would become the second state after Nevada to qualify a legalization initiative for the 2016 election. Juneau, Alaska. Sweeping changes proposed to Alaska's criminal justice system could be funded by revenue collected from the state's legal marijuana industry. The Senate Finance Committee has proposed a recidivism reduction fund filled annually with 50% of marijuana tax revenue. That money could fund institutional changes and programs proposed for corrections, health, and social services and public safety. The criminal justice overhaul is designed to keep Alaska's prison population down and lower the number of repeat offenders. Committee co-chair Senator Anna McKinnon said her committee got a best-guess estimate from Governor Bill Walker's administration on potential marijuana revenue. They've estimated $3 million going into the fund next year and $6 million annually through 2022. The state has legalized recreational pot and regulators are in the process of accepting applications for marijuana businesses. Montpelier, Vermont. Senate efforts to legalize marijuana that were watered down to decriminalization in a House committee have now been watered down to a marijuana legalization study. Members of the House Judiciary Committee had first rejected the Senate's bill to legalize possession of marijuana by adults and create a system of regulated commercial growers and dispensaries while maintaining criminal penalties for home cultivation. The committee instead proposed that decriminalization of cultivating two plants at home be added to the current decriminalization of possession, while also lowering the alcohol DUI limit to 0.05 for those who test positive for THC. Now that committee has shelved that proposal in favor of merely studying the issues surrounding legalization and decriminalization. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Louisiana State Representative Ted James has introduced a bill intended to provide a functional medical marijuana program in the Bayou State. House Bill 1112 would create a system of up to 15 marijuana growers licensed by the state to produce non-smokable cannabis products to registered patients. Louisiana has had a medical marijuana law since 1978, which was reaffirmed in 1991, but those laws were inoperable because of the reliance on the need for a prescription. Marijuana cannot be prescribed because federal controlled substances laws forbid it, which is why states with operable laws rely on doctors' recommendations. Louisiana passed an updated medical marijuana law last year, but it has stalled due to a requirement that two Louisiana universities are required to produce the marijuana. Denver, Colorado. Colorado Representative Dan Pabon has introduced a bill that would prohibit edible marijuana to be sold in the form of an animal, human, or fruit, common shapes for gummy candies favored by young children. The move echoes a call from Governor John Hickenlooper's State of the State address where he said, quote, Back in the day, candy cigarettes desensitized kids to the dangers of tobacco, and today, pot-infused gummy bears send the wrong message to our kids about marijuana, end quote. According to research from the National Confectioners Association, almost two-thirds of gummy candy consumers are adults, not children. 
Trenton, New Jersey, a New Jersey assemblyman inspired by Whoopi Goldberg, has introduced a bill to open up the Garden State's medical marijuana program to women suffering from menstrual pain. New Jersey has only authorized 6,527 patients since the registry was opened in August 2012. Only 10 conditions are approved as a qualifying illness. Washington, D.C., federal drug czar Michael Botticelli, a recovering alcoholic and current smoker, says that the, quote, smelling pot everywhere is really challenging to people in recovery, end quote. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, April 8th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. The time has come to end prohibition of marijuana in Vermont. It's time. It's time. It's time for marijuana sales to take place in regulated businesses and stop taking place in our neighborhoods. It's time. It's time. It's time to create rules for testing and labeling marijuana so that consumers can know what they're getting. It's time. It's time. It's time to stop punishing adults for consuming a product that's less harmful than alcohol. And spend more time addressing serious crimes. Prohibition has failed. It's time for a more sensible approach. S-241 would end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont. We are ready. We're ready. We're ready. Who ready? We're ready. Vermont is ready. Contact a representative now and ask them to support S-241. It's time to end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we go behind the headlines at Denver's ABC7 news channel. I think I said nine earlier, but it's ABC7. They've got a headline that says Mexican drug cartels are taking full advantage of Colorado's marijuana laws. Oh, no, we legalized pot, and it helped the Mexican cartels. You know that uh, Kevin Sabet will be all over this, saying, See, you said it would end the cartels, and it didn't end the cartels. Well, folks, here's the problem with that thinking. First of all, there may have been some people out there saying it would end the Mexican cartels, but I was not one of them. I've always said that it would take business away from the Mexican cartels, but nothing's going to end the Mexican cartels. Nothing's going to end them because gangsters will always be gangsters. Criminals 
will always be criminals. Now, they may find a different crime, but they will still be criminals. But let me get into this story, give you some of their uh, explanation here. They say it's inadvertently helped fuel the business of Mexican drug cartels. Uh, This fellow, uh, Jorge Duque, with Colorado Department of Law, says, quote, If you combine the legalization of marijuana and you combine that, there are no regulations for the legalization of marijuana outside Colorado. It becomes an attractive criminal enterprise, end quote. So you you get that? It's not that legalization of marijuana in Colorado has provided a way for the Mexican cartels to be able to set up shop and sell marijuana in Colorado. It's that it's provided them a way to set up shop and then take that marijuana and sell it elsewhere where prohibition still exists. Once again, the focus is on the wrong enemy here. Legalization isn't the problem that's enabling the Mexican cartels. It's the prohibition in the other states that is enabling the Mexican cartels. And that's what's always been our point, is that prohibition takes a very lucrative market and gifts it to the Mexican cartels. It says, here's here's a business for you. Go ahead and make profits off of this. Now, the way that they try to argue around this, this Duque fella says cartels are now trading drugs like heroin for marijuana, and the trade has since opened the doors to drug and human trafficking. Quote, we have lots of victims. People are victimized, whether they are being forced into prostitution, whether they are being kidnapped, or just becoming addicts to illegal drugs. End quote. Um, Okay, again, here's the problem with that line of thinking is that criminals will always be criminals. And think about what the counter to this is, right? What he's saying here is that that we legalized and through legalization, now it's enabled certain methods of uh, human trafficking, kidnapping and, and, and distribution of other drugs to go through channels that are now legal marijuana channels, which is a dubious proposition at best. But let's take it at face value, what's the counter? The counter is, well, if legalization made it easier for them to be kidnappers and and pimps, then prohibition should be reinstated to make it tougher for them to be kidnappers and pimps. Or in other words, we give these criminals the marijuana market so that they can make money at something less harmful than if we take that away from them and they make money doing something more harmful. In essence, what these people are arguing for is prohibition as a make-work program for criminals, for the criminal underworld. Let's give them the weed trade, because at least the weed trade, you know, weed's not going to get a bunch of people addicted or killed or kidnapped or sex trafficked. That, That would be the counter, wouldn't it? And the problem with the counter is we all know that under prohibition, guess what? Kidnapping and sex trade still goes on. So this is a a great attempt by them at misdirection because of the successes we've seen from marijuana legalization in Colorado. When we've got the uh, Washington Post reporting on Mexican marijuana growers who are complaining that if America keeps legalizing, they're going to put them out of business when years ago before legalization, early 2010s, a kilo of Mexican grown marijuana through the cartel was fetching the farmer a hundred bucks, hundred dollars a kilo. Now they're getting 
$25 a kilo can't help but hurt them. The marijuana business is a huge business for them. There are 28 million American marijuana smokers. So we take the marijuana business away from them, and let's say we did it with all 50 states. What, they're going to turn to meth, to coke, to heroin? And who are they going to sell it to? There aren't 28 million people ready to take heroin, coke, or meth. There's maybe 3 million combined from all those drugs. There's no market to replace all the marijuana smokers. It's simple mathematics. I can't do reefer comedy. I'm drunk. Two different animals. <laughs> That's a good point, Homer. Hey, it's 20 after the hour. That means it's 4.20 in the mountain time zone, except for Arizona, where they don't do daylight savings time because they got enough of it. <laughs> Happy 4.20 in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Happy 4.20 in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Happy 4.20 in Jackpot, Nevada. Been to all those places. Be back in two minutes with some drug war data mining. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know, about this podcast, what I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy, because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we talk about uh, my neck of the woods, Portland, Oregon, and more specifically, Multnomah County versus Clark County. Multnomah County is the county here that houses Portland, Oregon, the state's most populous city and county, and it is bordered on the north by the Columbia River. And right across that river is Clark County, Washington, home of Vancouver, the lesser-known Vancouver Vancouver, Washington, and uh, all of uh, the residents there. Now, there's always been 
an interesting cross-border trade between the two states because Oregon has no sales tax and Washington has no income tax, if I'm remembering that correctly, or it's much lower, one or the other. So the property taxes are pretty high in Portland and not so high across the river. A lot of people live in Washington state and they work and shop in Portland. So we get a lot of cross-river traffic as it is. But this uh, hits our market in the case of Washington state legalizing and allowing for adult sales before Oregon legalized and allowed for adult sales. And this story in the Oregonian talks about a 68-year-old retiree who has a home on the Columbia River Gorge, that river that's uh, the border of Washington and Oregon. She's on the Washington side and set herself up a dispensary uh, in Washington State, a pot shop. Uh, It's called Margie's Pot Shop. It's off Washington State Route 14 in Bingen, Washington. And she had brisk business and was doing $172,000 a month in the summertime. But in October, when Oregon passed the early sales bill that allowed the existing medical marijuana dispensaries to start selling up to seven grams of flour to any adult, her sales plummeted by 50% between October and February. So she lost half of her customers because she lost that cross-border traffic of Oregonians who wanted legal marijuana but did not yet have any place to purchase it. Now, they've done some of the number crunching here, and Josh Lehner, he's an economist with the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis, did a blog post called Border Effect Weed Edition, and he pointed out how there are these border effects with cigarettes and with alcohol. We've uh, got that situation in the case of Washington, Oregon, where Washington's cigarette taxes are over $3 a pack. Oregon's cigarette taxes are about a buck thirty-two a pack. So since 2010, Oregon has sold more cigarettes than the state of Washington, even though Oregon has far fewer people than the state of Washington. We have about 5 million. They have about 9 million. Uh, And we have similar smoking rates. But because of the less tax in Oregon, people come to Oregon to buy their cigarettes. There's a similar situation with alcohol. In 2012, Washington State privatized their liquor stores. In Oregon, we still have these state-run liquor stores. Prices in Washington went up by 15 to 20 percent. Since then, the liquor stores on the Oregon side of the border have done 40 percent greater sales. So we're seeing a similar fluctuation here when we're talking about marijuana. In Washington State, there's a 37 percent state tax on recreational marijuana. In Oregon, it's 25%. It's going to be lower than that once our actual pot shops start opening up rather than these medical dispensaries selling early. So we'll have taxes from 17 to 20% in that case. And already we've seen the difference in price. Uh, An average gram in the Oregon recreational market is $13.67. The average gram in the Washington market is $14.68. So we've got a price gap already. We'll have a tax gap already. And that's going to lead, again, to more of this cross-border traffic, this competition, which to me is only benefiting the cannabis consumer. As the prices go down, these places will have to start competing on customer service and quality 
once we start hitting these price floors. And we're already seeing a ramp up in production in Washington state that's going to be matched by Oregon very soon that can only drive those prices lower. Uh, they talked to uh, Ramsey Hamaday at uh, Main Street Marijuana, where I uh, often uh, purchase marijuana and marijuana products. And Ramsey's talking about how he's got such great foot traffic, 1,500 to 2,000 customers a day. That's right, 1,500 to 2,000 customers a day. And I've been there. I can attest to that. He's able to use economy of scale to negotiate better prices from his suppliers to the point now where he's able to sell a sun-grown eighth of marijuana for 10 bucks, 10 bucks an eighth. And that's with a 37% tax tacked onto it, right? That's with the tax included, 10 bucks an eighth. And, and people will come, oh, it's sun-grown, it's outdoor, it's swag. No, folks, this stuff is tested. I had some of their sun-grown Durban poison that was tested out at 24% THC, and it was quite good. So 10 bucks an eighth and a gram of extract, a gram of wax for 20 bucks. So even, even when we go to the other dispensaries in Portland, an eighth is selling for 20 to 50 bucks and uh, wax is going for 20 to 35 bucks a gram in Oregon. Main Street Marijuana, even with those low prices, though, has seen that their Oregon, their, their, their share of Oregon customers, it was about 50 50 before. About half the customers from Washington, half from Oregon. Now it's down to about 80-20. About 80% Washington, 20% Oregon. Now that Oregon has the early sales. And I believe that's going to drop even further because the new bill that was just signed that's going to start allowing the early sales of extracts and edibles. A lot of the reason Oregonians are still going across the river is because they can only buy seven grams of flour at a time and they can't buy edibles, oils, vape pen cartridges, tinctures, anything like that. Once that kicks in, we'll really start to see the cross-border effect taking place and the prices will decline even further. Personally, I can't wait. All right, stay tuned. Government work is next. We got Libertarian presidential candidate Kevin McCormick joining us when we return in just two minutes. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. for this little guy it's just too late what caused the problem only dr dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth tasting slower burn this standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits sending it up in smoke so you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke not va- away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to dr dabber doctor's order less heat <laughs> more flavor hey this is Willie nelson for normal and I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. You're listening to Radical Russ. On the Russ Belleville Show. 
Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Reforming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. Welcome back, everyone. 32 after the hour. And today in Government at Work, we take a look at the U.S. presidential election campaign. And joining us here is a man who is running for president of the United States. Kevin McCormick is on the line. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, so glad to have you. And uh, where are we talking to you? Where are you located right now? I'm located in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, so running for president from Phoenix, Arizona, and you're running uh, under the Libertarian banner. And the first thing that comes to mind is I've had the opportunity to uh, be at numerous events with Governor Gary Johnson, who claims to be running under the Libertarian banner. So are you both in competition for the same job, basically? Yes, we are. I entered the uh, race about three weeks ago to take uh, Gary on head-to-head. Okay, so uh, do you feel that uh, uh, Gary's not uh, presenting a libertarian case as well as you could, or is there just some fundamental differences you guys have? Yeah, that's part of it. You know, I, I don't think uh, Gary can really motivate the voters, and uh, I think some of his policies uh, fly a little in the face of the Libertarian Party. My, myself, I've been a Libertarian for over 20 years. Uh, I think it's time for us to have somebody step up in the party who is a core Libertarian at heart uh, and not coming over from a, you know, a Republican Party or some other party before him. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, Governor Johnson was uh, a Republican uh, as governor of New Mexico, who then became a libertarian. You're making the point that you've always been a libertarian. What's your background? Do you have a a history in elected office or business that we should know about? Uh, Yeah, so I, um, you know, I've worked my whole career in the technology industry, um, you know, securing systems uh, to protect the privacy and data of Americans, uh, everything from network to now mobile security. I uh, started my own company and uh, iPhone application uh, in 2008. Um, and, you know, right now I think that's one of the most important things we need in the executive office is somebody that understands technology because, you know, we have secret corps in the U.S. now that can go and read my emails at any time and not even tell me anything about it. And these are things that we should be really, you know, fearful of here in the United States. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think that we have something like a, a secret court system. Yeah, you bring up a really good point there. A lot of uh, my listeners are also keen on those issues. Uh, we talk often about the revelations in WikiLeaks or uh, Edward Snowden, and now we've got these Panama Papers. There's so much going on that, that we need to be cognizant about. But I guess uh, part of my question also is wondering, is this your first uh, run at elected office? It is my first run at elective office. Uh, you know, I was very active in the political scene uh, about 10, 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, kind of had the system, you know, break my spirit. But here uh, this year, especially when the iPhone case against the FBI came up, and then, uh, you know, the current status of our our options, I just couldn't sit on the sideline anymore and and decided to uh, step forward for my party. So, uh, I... 
it's going to be uh, an interesting battle for you to fight. I mean, uh, people will say that a person like Gary Johnson, who's already been elected governor twice uh, in in political office, is already a long shot as it is with the libertarian, you know, the third parties and such. So what makes you think, you know, taking on the role of presidential candidate as your first run is going to bode any better? Uh, I think I have the uh, personality and background, and also just the, uh, I'm an average American. My wife and I are both uh, hardworking, uh, both work outside the home with a young family. We identify, and I think America identifies with us. We know what the core issues and what, you know, our day-to-day life is like. And that's really what we need in the White House right now is not someone that's controlled by special interest or, you know, the Panama reports, as you mentioned, has shown how corrupt our political system is. I'm that person that we're all asking for, that we want someone who we know does not have a special interest driving their decisions. And I'm focused on three key things that I think we should all be focused on is getting our personal freedom back, privacy, and our free speech. And, you know, those things, the two established parties have been crushing those over the last 50 years, taking more and more of our rights away, you know, to the point where nowadays we don't even notice that so many of our rights have been stripped from us. We're speaking with Libertarian presidential candidate Kevin McCormick. You can find out more at his campaign website, KevinMcCormick2016.com. And, uh, Kevin, I, I agree with you on all of those points as far as privacy, free speech rights. Uh, we definitely uh, have suffered, and, and in our realm here on this show, we've seen this happen in the guise of the war on drugs. Uh, there's also been many tools that have been granted to uh, government by both Democrats and Republicans in the name of the so-called war on terror that also seem to be used on the war on drugs. Give us your pitch uh, to the cannabis community and to the drug reform community as to why a McCormick administration would be the best way to go. Um, I've been a long-time supporter of the legalization of marijuana. I think that is at the heart of my campaign that we need our personal freedoms back. We should not be concerned about what I'm doing in my home and to my own body. We have gone to this point where we're trying to regulate everything that someone can do in their life. The government just needs to get out of our lives, let us lead our own life. And, you know, that's one of the number of things in my, number of things in my campaign. We get so sidetracked by the media and the candidates make us focus on everything except for the fact that they've been stripping us of our rights. So I think it's time that we have a candidate that runs. A very straightforward platform, like I said before, personal freedom, privacy, and free speech. We're going to balance the budget, and we're going to be focused on uh, shrinking the government. Those are my promises to the people, and that's the messaging we should have. You know, you, you put me in office, I can promise you I will not sign a single bill that limits our rights, and I'm going to be working as hard as I can to give us our rights back. That sounds great. And, uh, Kevin, you bring up a lot of great uh, domestic policy points. Uh, let's take a look now uh, to foreign policy, an area where the president exerts a lot of power. Uh, there's so many things going on with the rise of uh, Islamic extremism, uh, ISIS, Israel-Palestine that's going on, uh, situations in Latin America and South America with respect to their drug wars down there. What are some of your foreign policy goals as president? Well, the first thing we need to do is, you know, bring our troops home. We, you know, we haven't authorized any of these wars. And part of the reason why we have these extremists is because we trained them over the last 50 years. We keep sticking our nose in other people's business, and we're, we keep repeating the same bad habits. You know, we see we're, we're spending $300 million to buy Pakistan F-16s, while the doctor that helped us find Osama bin Laden is still sitting in prison in that country. 
we need to stop giving these people weapons and training them on how to use these weapons because eventually all they do is turn around and shoot at us. And then we need to start realizing that we have the technology in this country to control the, the media and the speech in these countries. If you want to scare the heck out of a, di a dictator, tell them they to give their, their people access to information. We, you know, we, we look at these things backwards. We need to start turning around and, and realizing we have drones flying over these countries, and those same drones could be giving those people access to, to real information so they know how the rest of the world operates. That's what scares dictators. Dropping a bomb and killing innocent people doesn't, doesn't scare a, a dictator. Mm, very well put. We're speaking with Kevin McCormick, Libertarian presidential candidate, KevinMcCormick2016.com. Now to the, the nuts and bolts of running for president. It requires uh, traveling, meeting people, doing a lot of different events, getting yourself in debates, campaign ads, and so forth. Uh, how is the fundraising going? What are your fundraising plans? And are you going to take money from super PACs or other sorts of uh, Citizens United type organizations? I'm not taking a dime from a super PAC or any other special interest. My campaign is, has been almost 100% funded by me with a few small donors from the, uh, the public that have found out about me over the last three weeks. And so I'm 100% funded by the, the U.S. citizens. And on that note, I, you know, like I said, I only announced three weeks ago. People told me, you know, it's too late to jump into the race. The Libertarian Party had an open delegate system, so our delegates are going to be able to vote for whoever they want. Memorial Day weekend for President of the United States. I just got done with my first libertarian debate in California last weekend, and now I'm considered one of the front runner, front runners in the party after just running for three weeks. So everyone get out there, like you said, check out my website, go to my Facebook page, find out more about me because there's a real opportunity to put me on the ballot. We are the only third party that will be on the ballot in every state in November and give you a real option for President of the United States. And I think uh, you, the timing couldn't be better for the Libertarian Party in that uh, it seems that we're going to have two corporate establishment type of candidates from the Democrats and the Republicans. And on both sides, the left, with respect to Bernie Sanders, the right, with respect to Donald Trump, have displayed that they're kind of sick of the status quo and the corrupt political system. Uh, Gary Johnson has even mentioned that, you know, he's polling at like 11% or something in a three-way poll. This could be the year a third party could make a major splash. Unfortunately, our, our news media doesn't really tell us a whole lot about you guys. I mean, I know what's going on with the delegates and the Republicans and the Democrats and when their conventions are. Can you tell us a little bit about the process? Like you said something about an open delegate system. Does this mean people could vote for you as the libertarian nominee at the convention? It's not going to be determined till then. And, and you said that convention is Memorial Day. Yeah, so the Libertarian uh, Convention is Memorial Day weekend in Orlando, Florida. Um, you know, you see all the primaries that are going on for the Republican Democrat parties. We don't hold binding primaries or anything of that nature. Each state will send their delegates from the Libertarian Party to Orlando, and those delegates will have meetings and get to, you know, have interviews with the candidates while we're there. We'll have a debate on C-SPAN. And at the end of that process, those delegates will go and place a vote for whoever they feel is the best candidate to represent the Libertarian Party. 
anyone who is out there and wants to get interested in this, uh, get involved in this process, all we have to do is join the Libertarian Party, cost you $25, and, and contact your local Libertarian Party in your state. I can promise you most of these states still have open delegate spots for anyone who wants to get involved in the political process. It's a great opportunity for anyone who wants to really drive change in America. All right. That sounds fantastic. And uh, so you're uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona. Where are you headed next? Are there places people might be able to just meet you in person and talk to you? Yeah, I'll actually be in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, April 22nd and 23rd for the uh, North Carolina Libertarian Party State Convention, and they're also going to be having a Libertarian debate there as well. Um, also, reach me on social media. You know, like you were saying earlier, that's where I think this is the year for the Libertarian Party because we can now communicate to you outside of the major media outlets. Anyone can come out and reach to me, message me on Facebook, ask me questions about what my opinions are on a subject, and we're, I'm going to be doing a lot of live streaming over the next couple of weeks over Facebook, so you'll have a chance to interact with me directly. Um, you know, you've never had that level of access for a presidential candidate before in our lifetime. Uh, I love it. Transparency, open access, people-powered campaigning. Uh, good luck to you, Kevin McCormick, and uh, we hope everything turns out well for you at the conventions. Uh, and uh, good luck in the debates as well. We, uh, we wish you the best of luck getting your message out to the people. All right, great. Thank you for your time. Hey, no problem. Kevin McCormick, 2016.com is the website if you want more information. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in two minutes, and when we get back, we're going to ask... Do the people on the left and the right actually recognize government tyranny when they see it? The case of body cavity searches when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old mountain smells. And it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on. CannabisRadio.com Welcome to my world. You're not high. 
You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Christian convictions are under attack as never before. Okay, maybe you're high too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today in the rant, I have to wonder if people really recognize tyranny when they see it. If they really know what tyranny is or, or what our rights really mean. And this is brought to my attention by a piece by the excellent Radley Balco just uh, last week. And I don't know why I didn't get it to it till this week, but uh, it's it, it hits hard on an issue that I've uh, discussed many times on the show. And that is the issue of body cavity searches by cops looking for drugs. And we reported on this uh over the past couple of years, there was those cases in Texas where the women, two different cases where two women in Texas were in a car and forced out of the car and had cops probe their anus and vagina looking for supposedly secreted drugs on them. But no drugs are found in any of these cases. But there's those women outside in public on the roadway on the dash cam getting fingered by the cops over trying to find weed, right? And we told you the stories about uh, the New Mexico stories. There was those stories, the story of the man who uh, rolled through a stop sign in a Walmart parking lot, and then uh, the cops suspected that he was hiding drugs on him, and so they probed his anus and couldn't find any drugs. So they probed his anus again, and they couldn't find any drugs. And so they probed his anus a third time. They couldn't find any drugs. So they took him to the hospital, and in the hospital, they gave him an enema and forced him to defecate in front of the cops, and they didn't find any drugs. So they gave him another enema, forced him to defecate in front of the cops, and they didn't find any drugs. So they gave him a third enema, forced him to defecate in front of the cops, didn't find any drugs. So they sedated him and did a colonoscopy, and they didn't find any drugs. And they did a, a scan, a CAT scan, they didn't find any drugs and they did an x-ray and they didn't find any drugs now this was all done uh at a hospital uh the third hospital they tried because they tried to go to two other hospitals and the the doctors there wouldn't do it they're like are you crazy and they did get a warrant but the hospital they ended up at wasn't in the county where the warrant was valid and about half the procedures they were doing happened after the warrant had expired and this was all in the search for drugs. We've got to find the drugs. It's so important that we find the drugs. And I 
every time I tell this story, I always bring up the point that how much drugs do you think someone can hide? Like, how important is this? In those Texas cases, right, when they're, they're searching the women's vaginas for drugs, right, for weed, what they suspected to be weed, in Texas, it takes a quarter pound to make a felony when it comes to possession. So these guys were fingering these women, I shouldn't say guys, these cops, because they were female cops, were fingering these women on the side of the road in public for what they themselves would have believed, reasonably believed, was only a misdemeanor amount of marijuana. Not even felonious amounts. And this latest case is what brings me back to this subject, and it's written by uh, Radley Balco talking about a federal lawsuit filed for actions that took place in the town of Aiken, South Carolina on October 2nd, 2014. Uh, two people driving the car, two people in the car are black. All the police officers involved are white. Uh, it's a black woman named uh, Lakia Hicks and a black man named Elijah Pontoon. They're in her car. They're stopped in downtown Aiken for what Officer Chris Medlin of uh, pulled over by Officer Chris Medlin. Uh, it was a brand new car. She well, not new, but she had recently purchased the car, so it had temporary tags on. You know, the little paper where they write in marker when it's any good. You know, when it expires. So, in the dash cam video of this stop of the two black motorists, the white cop says he needs that she needs to get out of the car, and that he pulled her over because she's got a paper tag on the car. Not an expired paper tag on the car. A perfectly legal new car purchase tag on the car. In other words, she's in no violation at this point. There's no reason for the cop to be harassing her at this point. She's obeying the law. She's got temporary. There's no law against temporary tags in South Carolina as long as they're not expired. So the cop then asks the black man, Pontoon, for his ID. Now, he's a passenger. Under the law, you don't have to show your ID as a passenger, if it's, even if it's a legitimate traffic stop. It's the driver who's suspected of violating a traffic law at that point, not a passenger. There's no probable cause to be trying to ID the passenger. But he provides his driver's license. And uh, a couple minutes later... The cop tells the woman, the black woman, that her license and tags check out. Well, we're done then, aren't we? If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that when the cop gives you the reason why they pulled you over, your tags, and then concludes that reason, well, your tags checked out, the stop is over. From that point on, the only thing you say to the cop is, am I under arrest, being detained, or am I free to go? Because the stop is over at that point. Once we've concluded the reason why you pulled me over, the tags, and you said they're okay, we're done. Am I free to go? But that doesn't happen. Instead, the white cop orders the black man out of the car and puts handcuffs on him. Right? Guy was just sitting in the car, didn't have to give his ID, but he did. And now the cop, after the traffic stop is concluded, gets the black guy out of the car, puts the handcuffs on him. Tells the woman out of the, gets the woman out of the car. The man says, what's going on? 
Cop ignores him. Man asks again. Cop says he'll explain in a minute. Several minutes later, female officer appears, white female officer. White male cop then tells the black man, quote, because of your history, I got a dog coming in here, going to walk a dog around the car. You going to pay for this one, boy, end quote. Okay, remember, we're talking South Carolina, right? Because of your history, I'm going to walk a dog around the car. Now, the guy had previous convictions, but the last one was 2006. So for the past 10 years, he's been a law-abiding citizen. And there was no probable cause whatsoever. There's no law against having a record in the past. And that does not give enough reasonable suspicion, especially after 10 years of a clean record, that he's doing anything wrong. But the cop shows up with the police dog, walks around the car, a fourth cop shows up. The four officers spend 15 minutes searching the car. They find nothing. Nothing in the car. So after that, the original white male cop tells the original white female cop to, quote, search her real good, end quote. Now, the search doesn't take place on camera, but according to the complaint, it involved exposing your breasts and it was all done in the direct view of three male officers. They find no contraband on the black woman. So then they turn to the black man. They ask him to get out of the car, cuff him, pat him down. And then they say, quote, you got something here right between your legs. There's something hard right there between your legs. I'm going to have to put some gloves on. Okay, so, I, you know, you decide what something hard between the black man's legs was. But what happens is they take him off camera again and they do an anal probe. They don't see it, but you can hear the audio of what's going on. The black man at one point says that one of the officers is grabbing his hemorrhoids. The white cop replies, I've had hemorrhoids and they ain't that hard. And there's a suggestion in the video that there was two different officers that were poking into this man's ass as one says, what are you talking about, right here? And the other one says, no, right straight up in there. And then the black man says, you're pushing on a hemorrhoid. One officer responds, quote, if that's a hemorrhoid, that's a hemorrhoid, all right? But that don't feel like no hemorrhoid to me, end quote. They continue this search for three minutes. They find no contraband. So they then tell him to turn around and explains, and they explain to the black man, quote, now I know you from before, when, from when I worked dope. I seen you. That's why I put a dog on the car, end quote. So that's his reasonable suspicion. This white cop thought he recognized this black man from a drug case. Although he's had a clean criminal history, since 2006. And even if you did recognize the guy from before 2006 as being part of a drug case, that's not enough reason to stop him. Far less reason to search his car. And of course, not even close to a good reason for a roadside cavity search. So this is the tyranny of which I speak. This is the tyranny that I'm waiting for, you know, the NRA when they always say, oh, we got to have our guns just in case the tyrannical federal government. What are you waiting for? How much more tyrannical can it be 
than having local, county, state, and federal police with the power to stick their hands up your ass because they think you might have a misdemeanor amount of a non-toxic herb for personal euphoric purposes. How much more tyranny do you need? Oh, wait, maybe if it was happening to white people. (laughs) Maybe that's it. I just, my focus is all wrong. Hope you understand I'm being facetious. Hey, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next, live on CannabisRadio.com. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down super. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tell. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls, live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everyone. My last live hour of the week. It's Friday. Welcome to the weekend. I hope you're having a good one. Although I'll, I'll be on the Herb Crasher Flower Hour tonight on 420radio.org. If you're into rock and metal, join us 8 o'clock Pacific time on 420radio.org. Also, Stoner Jesus has the night off tonight. So there will be no live Stoner Jesus show after my show tonight. So sorry to have to break the news, but uh, I'm sure you'll get a great replay of Stoner Jesus coming up at uh, 5 o'clock. We just finished up the Radical Rant talking about this body cavity searching, right? And there's, it's just, it's disgusting in every respect. I mean, from the trauma suffered by the victims to the egregious uh, uh, 
the egregious destruction of our rights, of our of our civil liberties, to not even and and, and such a misguided and and inappropriate response to the danger involved, right? As as uh, I think it was in the Atlantic uh, that I was reading up on this, and the writer in the Atlantic points out that you know we've got border patrol that seizes tractor trailer loads of drugs. Tons of drugs. And it doesn't affect the drug trade one bit. So we're going to stick our fingers up the ass of somebody and find a few grams and that's going to have an effect? Right? We're gonna... No. Folks, these body cavity searches have nothing to do with searching and finding drugs. They have to do with terrorizing citizens. They know they're not going to find anything up there. How many people? I mean, it happens. People do hide drugs up their ass from time to time or in their vagina from time to time. It happens. Not saying it doesn't. But not regularly. Most people know are not doing that. Okay. And how much would it have to be? Right. That would get you to that point. You know, how desperate desperately scared would you be and if you do end up being that desperately scared what does that say about how stupid our laws are that in a traffic stop you would shove something up your ass to avoid prosecution how terrible right not like you're carrying plutonium or stolen nuclear codes or anything it's some weed it's just ridiculous and it's happening so much around this country that it, it, it's, it, it can't be thought of as anything but a standard operating procedure in some of these places and a standard operating procedure designed to humiliate, dehumanize, punish, and, and, and to try to steer people away or, or through, through this punishment, you know, make the drug user worse than what they actually are. You know, demonizing and these cases, like I say, are, are happening all over. Radley Balco writes that about the two cases in New Mexico where we talked about they had the x-rays and the forced colonoscopy. We've got the Border Patrol agents in New Mexico. Uh, we've got a lawsuit in Texas about vaginal searches of women that became standard procedure. Oakland paid $4.6 million to 39 men who were illegally strip searched in public. Similar lawsuit in Chicago. Allegations of, in Citrus County, Florida, Coal Springs, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Mission, Kansas, Milwaukee, Tennessee. It's happening everywhere. And only ending the war on drugs is going to end it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Toker Talk Radio after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. 
Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. All you have to do is decriminalize. We don't need a government regulation to tell us this is good pot, that's bad pot. We don't need any of that. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wacko bird, then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer. Or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. So, this piece by Radley Balco, if you want to follow up on it, it's entitled Video Shows White Cops performing roadside cavity search of black man it's from april 1st on the washington post and it's not an april fool's joke the video is there you can watch the edited video now it doesn't show any of the actual probing that all takes place off camera but it's got all the audio and um you can listen to these officers as they protect and serve these black citizens of their community and it's, I think it's important that you listen to the audio because it gives you, you know, when that cop says, you're going to pay for this one, boy, right? Boy. Just that, that, you know, unvarnished racism just coming through, right? That's a beautiful thing, right? Facetious. Um, but it's also telling the fallout from this, which is nothing. That cop, the white cop who was the... the instigator of all this stuff who pulled a woman over for having legal temporary tags and then instigated a drug dog search and a body cavity search after the traffic stop had been concluded that guy he's still working he still got his job he wasn't suspended or anything <laughs> no there's another day on the on the beat for that cop he's still working and six months after this happened in October. The city of Aiken, South Carolina, put out a press release announcing that for the sixth consecutive year, the Aiken Department of Public Safety, the cops, had earned accreditation from the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. The department, quote, demonstrates a commitment to professional excellence in policy and practice. And that 
The chief says, quote, they are trained in a certain way and indoctrinated into a system of policies and procedures that just become part of their everyday work. I'm extremely proud of how they interact with citizens and provide services to our community while maintaining excellence and professionalism, even during some very trying circumstances, end quote. Yes, they very professionally grabbed the hemorrhoids of a prone man on the street in public in the daylight in South Carolina. That's just part of their everyday work. Their systems and policies and procedures, you see. Of course, now they say they won't comment uh, on this pending investigation, this pending lawsuit, I should say, because they, they did investigate. You know, the cops investigated themselves. You'll be surprised to hear that they found that they did nothing wrong. Amazing, isn't it? And it's not like there isn't standards for this stuff. I'm not here arguing that there should never be body cavity searches. But those things should happen in the context of protecting the safety of inmates, the safety of cops, and the safety of the suspect. If you are booking a guy into the jail and there's the possibility he's got a straight razor somehow, a shank, I don't know how you put that up your ass, but let's just say it's possible. I know it's got to be. Yes, then you can understand why there's a body cavity search. You're putting them into a prison population. You want to make sure they're not hiding anything on them. That makes sense. This is someone pulled over the side of the road for legal temporary tags. And a guy who wasn't even driving. He's a passenger. He's riding while black. He's not even driving while black. He's just in the car. And because he got busted more than 10 years ago for drugs, he gets to enjoy two men sticking their fingers up his ass on the side of the road in public in broad daylight. So when, when I, I love it when you hear those uh, prohibitionists, these anti-legalizers, and they say, well, you know, we don't really lock up that many people for weed. And it doesn't really. Well, here's your direct refutation of that here's a guy that got busted over a decade ago paid his debt to society served his time whatever it was and 10 years later still gets treated like even worse than an animal it'd be animal cruelty if you did that to an animal we got some guy sticking his thumb up a chicken's ass over here (laughs) we better bust him oh wait no black guy we think has drugs no problem go ahead Now, the International Association of the Chiefs of Police have actually put together a guide on how, what would be the proper protocols for a body cavity search. Number one, the suspect shall be kept under constant visual surveillance until a body cavity search is conducted or an alternative course of action taken. Okay. Number two, the officer shall consult with his immediate supervisor to determine whether Probable cause exists to seek a search warrant for a body cavity search. Do you hear that, folks? A search warrant. That was the thing you didn't hear when I told you the story about the South Carolina cops, did you? No, no, they didn't even get a search warrant. They just handcuff people, put them on the ground, start sticking their fingers up their ass. No warrant. The decision to seek a search warrant shall recognize that a body cavity search is highly invasive of personal privacy and is 
reasonable only when the suspected offense is of a serious nature and or poses a threat to the safety of officers or others and or the security of the detention facility. The detention facility, right? Not the roadside. They're talking... This, they're not even, it's not even in the ballpark to be talking about what's the procedure to be sticking your fingers up someone's ass on the roadside. These are their procedures. Like once you've got this suspect at the jail and you're starting to book him, here's the procedure. Number three, if probable cause exists for a body cavity search, an affidavit for a search warrant shall be prepared that clearly defines the nature of the alleged offense and the basis for the officer's probable cause. So that's at the jail. If we can articulate why we think you might have something up your ass, then we'll go get a search warrant for it. Not, hey, you look like a druggie I saw from 10 years ago. Let me stick my fingers up your ass. Number four, on the basis of a search warrant, the body cavity search shall be performed only by a physician or by other medically trained personnel at the physician's direction. Why, you guys make it sound like untrained professionals just jamming their fingers up people's asses might be medically unsound. What, they don't, they don't teach that at uh, the police academy anymore? Proper buggering? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you'll note in the South Carolina story, no doctors, right? Cops on the side of the road. And number five. A suspect's mouth may be searched by consent or where there is clear indication that evidence will be found and exigent circumstances exist, which make it probable that evidence would be destroyed. That's the mouth, right? Because you could swallow, destroy evidence. Doesn't work for the butt. So, yeah, this is this is how crazy the war on drugs gets. This is as crazy as it gets, where we see violating the most personal basic privacy sanctity of a human body is less worrisome than letting someone roam around with weed in their butt (laughs) well we we had to do it for his own good he he had marijuana up his ass we we just had to get it out because if that marijuana had stayed there, what? <laughs> what is the big issue that we... No, it's because we want to catch fish, right? We want to catch criminals. It doesn't have to do with protecting and serving anymore. It has to do with searching and arresting. It has to do with making quotas. It has to do with getting fines paid and private prison cell beds filled. The cops now have just become a collection arm of the government. In a lot of cases, especially when we're talking about traffic violations and we're talking about drug violations, it's, it has nothing to do with protecting us. It has everything to do with raising money and keeping budgets, keeping jobs. Hopefully enough people are learning about this that it will start to have some effect. Maybe we can start to move the needle in the other direction. Maybe get people to back away from their hate and prejudice just long enough. Just long enough to recognize that even if someone is the dirtiest scumbag, welfare grifting, homeless, loser, asshole, stashing 
PCP up his ass. Even if it's that guy. He's got rights. He's got fundamental rights. And where we start to understand that if we don't provide fundamental protection, fundamental rights, fundamental liberty to the most reviled people, then it's not going to be good for anyone. It's, you know, ju- injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And, and by the way, when I'm saying reviled people, please don't take that for me saying black people are reviled. I'm saying how society looks at drug users and the lower class and the minorities and so forth. It's not my view. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But this is a, this is a major turning point in America. We're starting, people are starting to recognize the problem of mass incarceration. And we just recently saw Bill Clinton stumping for his wife, Hillary Clinton, who was heckled by some Black Lives Matter protesters recently, and he came back and his response could have been written on Fox News saying something about well, you people are just supporting those gangbangers who made th- who got 13-year-olds hopped up on crack and then took those very lives you're supposed to care about. He's really stepped in it this time, hasn't he? But this is the, the mass incarceration problem. This is the war on drugs problem. This is the militarization of the police problem. We don't need no stinking budget. Oh, no. <laughs> Sometimes Liebermater just randomly picks the most perfect break. Yeah, they don't need no stinking badges or search warrants or probable causes. They're just going to stick their fingers up your ass because it's fun. It's 420 here on a beautiful, beautiful April day in Portland, Oregon. we got to take a break. Safety meeting is happening right now. So let's all be safe, folks. How high do you like your profit margin? Cannabisradio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. 
For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 22 after the hour, feeling a whole lot safer. Hope you are, too. Going to change focus a little bit here because I, I can't talk about the cavity searches anymore. <laughs> Just That's enough of that. Just how depressing, huh? Instead, I'd like to focus on the drug czar. That's right. Let's talk about the drug czar. Our drug czar's name is Michael Botticelli, in case you didn't know. And uh, the news from the New York Times Magazine and the interview by Anna Marie Cox, the headline, Michael Botticelli is not in favor of legalization. Wow, we're surprised. See, the fact is that the drugs are statutorily cannot be in favor of legalization. The very definition of the job requires that the head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, a.k.a. the drugs are, must oppose any attempts to move marijuana out of Schedule 1 for any purpose whatsoever, medical or recreational. He has to oppose it. That's the, it's in his job title. <laughs> Michael Botticelli, Director of Office of National Drug Control Policy that will never legalize marijuana. <laughs> Might as well be on the business cards. Now, it's interesting, though, in that Botticelli is our first drug czar who is not overwhelmingly a part of the law enforcement community. You know, we've had General Barry McCaffrey and we had uh, uh, police officers and so forth that have done this job. But this drug czar, Michael Botticelli, is part of the recovery community. He's a recovering alcoholic. And he thinks this gives him a different perspective on the war on drugs. And, and to some extent, it's true in that he doesn't see it from that perspective of lock them all up and throw away the key. The only problem is, is somebody who's coming from this Alcoholics Anonymous recovery community is willing to substitute the hard jail cell for the soft jail cell of rehab. He's willing to endorse a policy that tells us all, all of us cannabis consumers that we're somehow sick or damaged or defective and require some sort of re-education and uh, medical treatment. He says, quote, we want to focus on public health strategies, end quote. Which is fine. I'm all for public health, but on a voluntary basis. I'm all for educating people. I'm all for providing funds for marijuana treatment for the people who want it, not for people who are just busted for it. But if someone voluntarily says, you know what? I smoke too much pot. I'd like some help. Sure. Let's get these guys some help, but not mandatorily. And that's the difference here is that this drug czar is like a Kevin Sabet type who wants to keep marijuana illegal so that there is this pressure. There is this pressure from the threat of the hard jail cell that will entice you to take the soft jail cell. The rehab. 
So here's the quote that caught my attention. And Anna Marie Cox asks, has your experience with addiction informed your opinion on legalization and decriminalization? And the drugs are answers, quote, I'll take off my policy hat and talk about it as a person in recovery. Fundamentally, I know my recovery is my responsibility, and I have been in recovery for 27 years. But walking down the street and smelling pot everywhere is really challenging to people in recovery. I think that there is a middle ground where you can move people away from the criminal justice system without some of the challenges that might come along with legalization. Anna Marie Cox answers, but alcoholics can walk down the street and smell alcohol. Would you want to make alcohol illegal? And he answers, no. Okay, so let's just deconstruct this a little bit, right? Here's a guy who's been in recovery from alcohol for 27 years. But it's a problem for him to smoke pot or to, to smell pot when he's walking down the street. You're not the pot smoker, dude. How is this hurting you? Now, are you saying it's hurting the people that are recovering marijuana addicts that are in recovery and they have to walk places and smell marijuana? Oh, no. I totally understand, Mr. Drugs are. See, I'm a person in recovery from obesity. I'm trying to lose weight. I have this weight problem. Had it all my life. I'm in recovery from obesity. When I walk down the street, I have to smell hot dogs and hamburgers and donuts in these shops all around town. Sometimes people are eating this stuff on the patios. I can see it. I can smell it. And and as a person in recovery from obesity, oh, it's so tough. I have to walk by this stuff every day that it smells so good. So you know what I do? I walk by. That's what you got to do. See, You can't open up your sentence saying, fundamentally, I know my recovery is my responsibility, and then complain, but there's pot everywhere. I smell pot everywhere. Yeah, that's your responsibility to deal with the fact that there are temptations out there that may be bad for you, just like I have to deal with the fact that I can walk three, four blocks in any direction in any major city, and there's a Subway or a McDonald's or some ice cream or something that I probably shouldn't eat. And we all have to take that responsibility for ourselves. He goes on to to explain what he'd like to see. Uh, Anna Marie Cox asks, asks, are you saying that there should just be more safe spaces for people who are in recovery where there aren't drugs present? He answers, well, think about what we've done with tobacco. We've changed the availability. We've really changed the culture and our smoking rate is at its lowest level. Unfortunately, I still smoke. (laughs) We got a guy who's a tobacco addict lecturing us about the smell of pot everywhere. (laughs) Okay, Uh, but let's analyze what he said there. We should think about what we've done with tobacco. Okay, did we arrest anyone? No. Did we ticket anyone? No. Did we force anyone into rehab? No. Did we require that they take pee tests to make sure they don't turn up positive for nicotine? No. Did we seize any of their assets? No. Did we uh, cost them their jobs, their their scholarships, their financial aid, their public housing? Nope, 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 nope. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm with you there so far, Mr. Drug Czar. Let's, uh, let's look at what we did with tobacco, which, by the way, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, seven out of ten high school seniors had tried tobacco. Seven out of ten had tried tobacco in 1985. Today, it's, it's fewer than four in ten. And it's fewer than have tried marijuana. And again, we didn't arrest anybody, ticket them, criminalize them, stigmatize them in any way. So what did we do with tobacco? Well, he says we changed the availability. We really changed the culture. Well, we didn't, we didn't really change the availability for adults so much. We did get rid of the cigarette vending machines. In, but you can still find those in some states where it's an adults-only venue. We did require the smokes to be put behind a locked counter. But if you're an adult who wants to smoke cigarettes, I don't think your access has really declined much. They're still at the 7-Elevens. They're still at the gas stations. They're still at, the, at some, some uh, diners and stuff even sell them. So the availability didn't really go down. Did we change the culture? Yes, we changed the culture in a few ways. By restricting where people could smoke. You can't smoke in airplanes or... yeah. Younger listeners, you could actually smoke in airplanes back in the day. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, you can't smoke in airplanes. You can't smoke in uh, restaurants and you can't smoke in public places and you have to smoke 25 feet away from the door and all that. All that had something to do with it. And cigarette taxes had something to do with it. But you know what really had the most to do with the changing culture of tobacco? The facts. Just getting the facts out to people, just people being educated as to, hey, this shit kills you <laughs> and, and ruins your skin, makes you hack. It's a terrible habit. Don't do it. Costs too much money. Those things are what have really brought our smoking rates to the lowest levels ever in combination. I still think the information, the, the health knowledge about smoking has done the most for us. But yes, we've also put the smokes behind the counter checked IDs better. If that's where the drug czar wants to go with marijuana, great. I'm for that. Let's treat, you know, let's make that the, 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 uh, the slogan now. Not treat marijuana like alcohol. Let's treat marijuana like cigarettes. Treat marijuana like cigarettes. They're really more uh, akin to each other when you talk about the effect on others, right? See, when we say treat marijuana like alcohol, we kind of put ourselves in this. We paint ourselves into a corner in some respects. In one respect, treat marijuana like alcohol is an insult to marijuana because marijuana is not like alcohol. It doesn't make you violent. It doesn't make you dangerous on the roads. It doesn't make you puke on people's shoes, right? It doesn't turn you into an asshole, right? Marijuana is not like alcohol. Marijuana is really, from the outsider perspective, is really more like tobacco. It creates a smell and a smoke that can be bothersome to some people, but it doesn't really impair in the same sense that alcohol impairs. It might make you giggly and have some time dilation and some, some perceptive issues, perception issues, but not impairment so much. So it's really a little more like tobacco in that respect. And, and hey, if we want to go with that, great, because that would mean the marijuana smoking age would be 18 or 19 in a lot of states. Although I believe Hawaii just raised their smoking age to 21 and California is looking at that too. You know, my stand on this, I don't care what the age is, but pick one, right? I, I, I hate this. I hate this, this purgatory, this limbo that our young people end up in 
between the ages of 18 and 21, <laughs> right? Like, what are you? Well, you're old enough to get shot in Afghanistan, and you're old enough to vote for Donald Trump for president, and you're old enough to smoke a cigarette, but no, we can't give you a beer, and no, you can't rent a car, and no, you can't buy any marijuana in Colorado. I don't make any sense. Pick an age and let's go with it. Now, if I had my preference, I'd make the universal age 21. Can't join the army till you're 21 is the main reason for that. You want to see a rapid decline in the deployment of our forces and the strength of our military. Raise the military enlistment age to 21. In your 18, 19, 20, man, you're just, you know, you're crazy, to be honest. <laughs> as, a, as a male, I can't speak for the women. But 18-year-old men are crazy. You're, you're so, for, so full of testosterone and hormones and, and you feel invulnerable. That's why military likes the age being low. Is that, That's the age where you can convince people that, hey, you see this piece of cloth? You ought to put yourself in front of bullets for it. <laughs> that's, you can sell that to an 18-year-old. 25-year-old, tougher sell. <laughs> a little tougher sell. But whatever the age is, let's pick an age and go with it, right? You want to make it 18? I'm cool with it. Let's make it 18. I got another idea. Let's make the universal age for everything 21 or your high school diploma. You get a high school diploma at 16? Great. You can drink. You can smoke. You can uh, smoke weed. You can vote for president. You can enlist in the military. You want to see those dropout rates uh, plummet? (laughs) Make your legal drinking age, your legal toking age, make all that contingent on your high school diploma. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. 
Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Just going through my emails. Got the confirmation for the Blazers versus Nugs game. It's taking place this next Wednesday. And the uh, pre-party, which is going to feature Cliff Robinson, a.k.a. Uncle Spliffy, is going to be held at Refuge PDX. And I just got confirmation that they've got uh, a table, internet, and electricity for me. So we will be able to stream live from Refuge PDX this Wednesday for the Blazers versus Nugs pre-party. And cross my fingers, I hope we get Uncle Spliffy on the show with us. That'll be a lot of fun. Portland Normal will be joining us out there as well. I just got the information out to Herb Thrasher, Scott Gordon, the executive director of Portland Normal. All right, so uh, let me get back to some data because I was telling you about that Oregon border effect, the Washington-Oregon border effect, and and economists have seen this before with respect to cigarettes and alcohol both of which sell better in Oregon than sell in Washington because we got lower taxes on both of those things and lower prices. So they're seeing a similar effect here in Washington state. And I found the blog post that was referenced from the Oregon office of economic analysis. Josh Lehner uh, put this together border effect weed edition. He calls it. And what it points out is that in Washington state, uh, they, have, they had a slide from their Washington State Economic and Review Forecast Council that said uh, Oregon legalization may have affected Clark County, but statewide sales continued to grow. Now, just geographics, so you know what we're talking about. Clark County is the county right across the river from Portland, Oregon. It houses Vancouver, Washington, and up until recently housed the best-selling pot shops in the state. Uh, the number one, by a long shot, was uh, Main Street Marijuana in Vancouver, but another one was coming up as number three for a long time. And Vancouver's not the biggest place. In fact, the, Vancouver, the, the four shops in Vancouver for a while were outselling the 15 shops in Seattle combined. And how could that be? Well, because Vancouver's right across the river from Portland, Oregon. And so once sales began in Vancouver, Oregonians went across the river to buy weed. Even before it was legal for us to possess it, like we weren't legal to possess until July of uh, 2015. But even before that, we were crossing the river and, you know, buying weed. So once it became legal in July, there was a great increase in how much weed sales Clark County was uh, getting. 
they went from $250,000 in weed sales to over $400,000 in weed sales. But then in October, a huge drop. And understand that like the weed sales numbers have increased every month pretty much, either increased or stayed steady every month since they started their legal sales in July of 2014. But in October, a huge drop. Clark County went from over 400,000 in sales to under 250,000 in sales. And that huge drop corresponds to October 1st, 2015, when legal recreational sales began in Oregon. Once all those people in Oregon didn't have to cross the river and go through all that traffic to go get some legal weed, they saw a huge drop. And in fact, prior to the legal sales in Oregon from before October 2015, Clark County, Washington accounted for 12% of Washington state's overall sales. 12%. One out of eight grams of weed sold in Washington state was coming out of Clark County. In January, that's down to 7% of the state. So a huge drop for the sales in Clark County, Washington, and not just Clark County. They went and uh, the bloggers there at the Oregon Economic Council, uh, Office of Economic Analysis, took a look at this for the rest of the border counties across the, basically across the river, right? And also, geographically speaking, you got to imagine what the state of Oregon looks like. Uh, the Columbia River cuts up, it, it cuts into Oregon on the uh, on the east and, and crosses kind of over the the north it kind of cuts off the the tip of the 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 northeast tip of Oregon but then it matches the Oregon border uh the border with Washington at the Columbia River gorge and this happens at about uh the Dalles but actually a little bit before that so you got about 100 miles of Columbia River that separate Oregon and Washington all the way up to Astoria uh, at the end. And so they took a look at the counties that border Oregon on the Columbia River. Because the rest of the, the border is like, is all desolate area, mountainous area. There's not going to be cross traffic for anything. So these, these Washington border counties include Clark County, Cowlitz County, Klickitat, Pacific, and Skamania counties. And they took a look at their sales figures after Oregon started selling marijuana compared to the rest of Washington and Seattle. So in Washington overall, since October, since Oregon started selling weed, overall in Washington, sales are up 10%. In the Seattle metro area, sales are up 25%. So the overall trend in Washington is a continued rise in marijuana sales as there's more outlets and just more production. But in the five counties bordering Oregon, there was a net 35% decrease in sales. Clark County, down 39%. Pacific County, right across from Astoria, down 36%. Klickitat County had the lowest decrease, down 47% since Oregon started selling marijuana. So the border effect is real, <laughs> that's for sure. And as I mentioned in the drug war data mining, it can only benefit us cannabis consumers. There's some numbers 
on Oregon marijuana that uh, Noel Crombie at the Oregonian has put together that point out that the average price per gram in Oregon is $13.67. The medical gram is down to $10.96, $11 a gram just about. There are 72,937 medical marijuana patients in Oregon, almost 73,000. And we have 418 registered medical marijuana dispensaries in the state with 167 of them in Portland. And that's okay. So with just these medical places, 400 or so, and only allowed to sell us seven grams of flour at a time, we've got the price down to $13 a gram, $13.67 a gram. The state licensing department, the OLCC, estimates that they're going to issue 850 recreational marijuana licenses. So we're going to go from having 400 places to shop to over 1,200 places to shop? Is that what they're telling me there? And we're going to go from just having the medical growers supplying the market where they can only grow six plants per patient and there's 73,000 patients. So whatever 73,000 times six is, 420,000, <laughs> how, how appropriate, 420,000 some odd plants, right? We're going to go from that to having numerous licensed grows with thousands of plants. We've already got the price down in this area of the country to where in Washington State, the largest retailer right across the river is selling weed at $10 an eighth. And we're going to just increase the production. We're going to increase the outlets here. Folks, we are going to be looking at the $50 ounce. Mark my words, we are going to see the $50 ounce in Oregon. And this is the other part of this continued legalization, this border war in Washington and, and Oregon is going to start to have a massive effect elsewhere. We've already seen the Supreme Court refuse to review the case from Nebraska where they complained, oh, boo-hoo, Colorado legalized and it makes our prohibition hard. Well, imagine that ramped up to the whole country level as dealers all across the country in illegal states are forced to compete with legal $50 ounces in Oregon. There's going to be enormous trafficking of marijuana. And I hate to say it because I know with, under the Cole memo that one of the federal things is that there shouldn't be any trafficking of marijuana. We should fight that in every way. Seed to sale tracking and stepped up enforcement and all that. But none of this is this law, supply, and demand don't give a shit. <laughs> don't care what our laws are. When weed starts selling for 50 bucks an ounce in a store here in Oregon, you can damn well bet it's going to be in the trunks of cars making its way eastward. No doubt about it. And then we got to worry that when that happens and when those busts start happening, that people will start to complain and bitch that it's, oh, well, see, we never should have legalized. We told you you couldn't keep it in state. We need to start recognizing that the only way prohibition even kind of works is if everybody is prohibiting. Only, if, only under national prohibition does it even kind of work, and even then it doesn't really work. But once you have four states growing marijuana and selling it legally, the, the rest of the prohibition in the nation is doomed. 
just by the laws of supply and demand. And this competition between Washington and Oregon, between their two states, producing and producing and dropping that price through volume, and both having more and more retail outlets that continue to drop the price and competing with each other over licensing fees and tax rates. Wait till we throw California in that mix. Oh my, wait till it's the entire West Coast, Oregon, Washington, California, Arizona, Nevada. The entire Western fourth of the United States as a legal marijuana commercial and growing zone. How much more does that depress the price of marijuana? How much more does that increase the supply to flow eastward to all these other states and all these other prohibition lands? It's inevitable. It, it can't be stopped. And that's why, in my mind, it's so important that we pass any legalization we can right now. I get people that get on my case because, well, you know, this part isn't good or there's no home grow or this isn't right. This particular clause or this business setup isn't perfect. And I'm willing to entertain those questions in 2020 after we have 10 legal states. When we have 10 legal states, I'm willing to start saying, okay, now we can start asking for better. But we need to get enough legal states that it's impossible to overturn. If we're stuck with just the current four legal states and the situations I talked about keep happening more and more across the country, it's easier for them to shut down little states like a Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Alaska than to try to attack the entire western fourth of the United States. Legalize now. Fix it later. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. Come back and close up the show. No stoner, There is no Stoner Jesus live show tonight, unfortunately. And join me on 420radio.org at 8 o'clock if you like metal marijuana mayhem with the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Back in two. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. 
New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks, everybody, and thank you again for another wonderful week here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm really excited about the upcoming events that we'll be covering for you here. Coming up next week on Cannabis Radio on the Russ Belville Show, we've got Dr. Mitch on Monday. Then on Tuesday, I will be attending the National Cannabis Industry Association's Oregon Caucus. That'll be Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, we'll be coming to you live from the Blazers versus Nugs pre-party at Refuge PDX here in Portland. And then that night, I will be at the Blazers versus Nuggets game. Blazers, of course, playoff bound, but nobody's getting past Golden State. Let's just all admit it. <laughs> Then on um, Thursday, there'll be no live show on Thursday because I'll be flying to Washington, D.C. for my Friday coverage of the Students for Sensible Drug Policy 2016 conference. That's taking place Friday and Saturday in Washington, D.C. Followed on Sunday and Monday by my coverage of Mark Kleiman's Cannabis Summit in New York City. I will be uh, tabling there and doing the live show on Monday from the Cannabis Summit. Then the following Tuesday through Thursday, 419, 420, and 421, the United Nations General Assembly Special Session in New York City. I'll be covering that as well. So uh, stay tuned to learn whether I'll be doing it live or not. We don't know what the setup will be there for that week. We may just have to go with uh, pre-recorded shows, but we should have plenty of great coverage for you, plenty of great stuff to pre-record All of the top international drug reformers will be at this United Nations Summit, so we will definitely get you some great audio. Then uh, the following week, we make our way to Newark, or back, I'm sorry, following weekend, we make our back to uh, the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, and then we make our way to the South. Last weekend of April, I'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina, joining the Unity Cipher the uh, torch run that's going from Portland, Maine, all the way to Miami, Florida, to unite East Coast cannabis organizations. I'll join them in Raleigh. We'll make our way down to uh, Charlotte. We'll eventually end up in Atlanta, Jacksonville, and Miami that week. So again, stay tuned to my Twitter feed as far as what the uh, show schedule will be. It'll be pretty ad hoc since I'll be on a road trip. So much coming up in the next few months. I... Won't be back here in Portland for until Memorial Day, I think. <laughs> so I'm going to take advantage of this beautiful weekend. And I hope you have a great weekend, too. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate all your support. You can always send me donations if you like. PayPal to Russ at RadicalRuss.com. All donations appreciated. They help me bring this show to you absolutely free for the past six years. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. 
And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth.